0: spoke to um uh, when i spoke with um simon christine i asked them just to whether they had something on their hearts that we could talk about this morning we could share about and um they got back to me and said that um, some 127 had been a, a key thing and you heard some of the in simon's um and some christine's testimony you heard some of that come through some of the ways that they've really seen god work and and um Psalm 127 has been key for them in that as well, in understanding uh, God's work in their family and their life. And so um, we're just going to share about and talk about that a little bit and reflect on that a little bit this morning. So uh, read along with me. Unless the Lord builds a house. So unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. Behold, children are a heritage from from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate." So read Psalm 127 by Solomon. And um, there's two key key, clear parts to that psalm, and and, um, we'll have a look at them quickly both. Have you ever, I was thinking about this, have you ever tried to do something, and no matter how hard you try, it doesn't work, or it doesn't get any better? And in fact, maybe it even gets worse. Can you, can you think of anything that you've ever tried to do and, and, you know, the more you tried, the worse it got? Yes, no? Anyone want to yell out what sort of thing you tried to do? A difficult piece of music. And the more you tried, you made a hash of it, the, the harder you tried. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Anyone else got anything like that? This is, you, can, you, can, you can share. I've got a story, but I'm, it doesn't have to be my story. No? Well, I bet you some of the guys in this room who were probably too embarrassed to say would agree with me on this one. A long time ago, another life, I tried my hand at plumbing. Those those, um, nervous giggles from these men, you know, it might have been electricians or something like that, although if you tried that and it didn't work, you might not have been here anymore. I tried my hand at plumbing. I wanted to save some money and I wanted to do it myself without involving a plumber. It did not go well. Three rolls of Teflon tape later, if you know what Teflon tape is, I was stubborn and I was stingy and I wanted to do it myself. I wanted to to, uh, succeed on my own, but it was a lot of stress and a lot of effort and was all in vain because I only made it worse. The The more I tried to stop the leak, the more it started leaking. And every time I went back, you know, I had this... Humans are funny. I put the the Teflon tape on, I tightened it all up and I went away for half an hour thinking if I don't look at it for half an hour it'll fix itself. And I went back and it was leaking worse than it was before. Made it worse. And the job got more expensive because when the plumber came he had to undo the mess that I made. So it wasn't a very good idea. Because I tried to do it myself. And I think as humans, that starts when, when you're a kid, doesn't it? You, when a kid, when a kid says to you, "I want to do it myself," you know, those of us that have got children remember when your kids, "Oh no, I want to do it myself. You know, I don't want mum or dad or or the experts to help." And and we recognise that kids do that. The trouble is, we don't always seem to learn really well. We might age in years, but we still try to do it ourselves so often. In Psalm 127, and actually 128, if you read the next one as well, Solomon is reminding us of the results of our independence. And um, if I was going to name this sermon, and I haven't, but if I was going to name it, I would call it the futility of human effort without divine blessing. Unless God does it, unless God is central, this is what what Solomon is saying in in this first part of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless God is central. In life, in family, even in church, we can get caught doing it ourselves all the time. We go to enormous effort to, to, to get things happening. We have these, these idea times where we sit around and, and bounce about ideas and we have these great ideas and then we make attempts at things. And, and we do that in our, in our life and in our family. We do that in church and, and maybe in, in whatever other organizations you might be part of and, in the end, ultimately, the, the success and the peace and the security and the providence that we're looking for just eludes us. It just slips out of our hands no matter how hard we try. It's not working, just like the plumbing that I was trying to do. It's not working and it ends in frustration. We try to make stuff happen in our own strength. We forget to make God central, to let Him build, uh, to look to Him to provide... Um, and we forget or don't forget we refuse to surrender control to god see when you build a house you pretty much surrender control of how it's built to the specialist to the builder don't you and the builders amongst us would know that after all the builders know what works they know the rules they know the regs the regulations They know how to build it so it lasts. And, you know, I spent a small time working with a builder and probably the worst client to build for, am I right, Rob, is the one that's there every five minutes telling you how you should do that, how the one, you know, asking questions and, you know, (laughs) you might have ideas and you might have input, but whether it works or not is best left to the builder and to the call. And sometimes our life... And our family can be a little bit like that, can't it? We try to do life. We we try to do family. We we try to do kids and relationships and marriage. We try to build home and and, and careers all on our own. But unless God is the builder of our family, as the psalmist is saying, when we make God central, and making God central, I'm thinking about this. We're talking to families this morning, and you might be sitting here and saying, look, I'm not a family yet, you know, so I'm just going to zone out until the coffee comes. When we make god central, making god central begins right when a relationship starts when you first and, and not even just in romantic relationships, right when relationship starts it 's in the foundation it 's not just um, when you 're married with kids you begin it, and particularly when you 're starting a romantic relationship or a relationship a special relationship let 's call them special ones instead of romantic ones when particularly when you're doing that, that's when you start to make God central, when you let him begin to build the house. You don't put doors in, uh, you don't put a roof on, you don't put windows in until you've put foundations in a house or you've put a slab down. So the foundations are built right at the very start of a relationship and you've got to allow the builder right there. God does the building to his design and we work with him. We look to him for expertise for empowering and to provide the best skills and advice. And after all, um, when we read the word, we see that God designed family. He has an intimate knowledge of what family's like. And think of someone that designed something. If someone designed a machine or designed something, they're the ones that know how it all works. They're the ones that you go to when you can't figure out what's going wrong with it. Why is this thing not working the way it's supposed to? The designer can tell you. He can tell you because he or she designed it. Well, God designed family. God designed relationships and he knows how when it's not working, when the bits aren't working, he knows how to make them work better. He knows how to build them. And like the psalmist says, he builds and he protects. He watches over our lives and relationships like a good project manager. He watches all the parts to make sure that they complement the whole and that they complement the design that he had in mind when he first thought of relationship and family. So we can see, when the psalmist talks about house, we can see that as family. Out of a good relationship comes a family. Or out of a good relationship, a family is built. And just like a good house becomes a place that life happens and grows, so does family. A good house, a nice house, is a place where life happens where where people can grow where people get an opportunity to, to be under shelter and family is the same thing family provides that context when we allow god to build and protect our family it becomes a source of life as well to us and to the world around us life begins to make sense we find peace we we find that purpose and and even again you know that remind you of, of Simon and Christine's testimony when they allowed god to begin to build all of a sudden peace came in the relationship, peace came in the home, purpose. And this leads us to the second part of the psalm because the psalmist talks about God building a house and he goes straight over to kids and he says, you see, if there's a family and the family unit's working well and, and you're allowing God to build a family, it becomes a source of life, it's no accident the psalmist starts to talk about kids in the second part of the psalm, is it? The greatest sign of life is a child, isn't it? I mean, those of us that have been uh, privileged to be at the birth of a child—it's an amazing thing to behold. And, and you know, look, you guys that haven't yet—and and it's it's an amazing thing to behold. The greatest sign of life is a child, the birth and the existence of a new life. And the psalmist talks about children being a heritage. You know, and I started thinking, why would he use the word heritage? What is it? Then we talk about a heritage-listed place heritage-listed place is something that we recognize was built solid, was built well, and it's not to be demolished, isn't it? You, you get in, recently someone got into trouble for demolishing a heritage-listed building. You don't destroy something that's a heritage. And God calls children a heritage. They're quality, they're not to be demolished. He says that they're a reward. And he says that, that we're blessed with them. Now, I can imagine for some of you mothers that at 2 a.m. and at 3 a.m. and again at 4 a.m. in the night, blessed is not the first word on your mind. But the truth is that they are a gift, a good gift from God. The psalmist talks about them being a good gift. And when we make God central in our lives, when we include him and we don't go it alone, our families and our homes become blessed a place of blessing, a source of blessing to us, to the family, to the kids and, and to us in our relationships, but also to people that we interact with. Our families come, become the foundation for kingdom building. They become the foundation to gather together as a larger family like this. As individuals and as couples and as family units, we have the opportunity to model the kingdom values that God has built in and is building into us. You know, and, and, and John prayed and for um, Roy and Tammy, uh, gave thanks for Roy and Tammy's um, um, celebration last night. And if you were there, and, and uh, I, don't rec- I, can't, I can't see anyone that was there last night here because I don't recognize any of you. But if you were there, you heard you heard Family. And and we're privileged in this church, and, and, and it happens not just in this church, but when families get together with celebrations, when you hear children talk about mothers and fathers, when you when you hear, when when you see um, grandparents honoured, it's a great picture of family. How family has become a foundation, not just for faith, but for celebration, for life, and for hope. You know, and, and we ha- we were able to have a te- we were able to see that last night, and we see that often in our church family here. We're blessed. Like the psalmist says, we're blessed. And, and I'm sure that's true if you're not from this church and your family as well. So a family that God builds and directs becomes a source of blessing, but it's also a place that God pours out his blessing into, onto. A place where we see God's gifts poured out. And just one of the other, uh, there was one other scripture that Simon and Christine gave me that um, is a great scripture that Christine... Um, wanted just to focus on what gave her this sense of, of purpose and life or encouraged her. And that's in James 1 verse 17, we read about gifts and we read that, you know, and, and um, James is talking about our father. And he says in James 1 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In modern language, this is a changeless father, who gives us every good gift. And when Simon and Christine think of Abigail, they think of that as they see Abigail as a good gift from the Father of lights, the Father who is unchanging, who is always solid, who is always faithful. God is the giver of good gifts, good and perfect gifts. And children are just one of them, aren't they? A big one but they're just one of them. Baptism says that, that God sees our children as perfect in his eyes. He says in baptism, this is my child. He sees what we don't even see yet with our human eyes. He sees the gift that he's given us, and we don't even see the, the, the magnitude of that gift yet. But there's more good gifts in a house built by God, in a family built by God. There's peace, security, purpose, identity, nurture, all of those kinds of things. But there's also practical gifts like, you know, practical gifts, a house that's built by God, a family built by God. There are practical things, shelter, food, fun, mission, character building. They're also good gifts. Our Father is the giver of good gifts and the psalmist talks about that. All these and more are part of a house or a family built by God the Builder. But by far, the greatest and the most perfect gift that our Father gave us, and I'm sneaking suspicion is this is what James is talking about as well. By far, the greatest and most perfect gift is Jesus Christ himself, isn't it? The Father gave his only son. And this was God's only child. And this is a child that God said, just like he said about Abigail, but he said, this is my son. This is my child. This is my perfect son, the most good and perfect gift that I will ever give you. The most perfect gift. And this gift was and is this gift was is and always will be good and perfect. Let me just say that again because that's important. The gift of Jesus Christ, the gift that the Father gave us in Jesus is Was and always will be perfect. Why is that important? Because we know that despite the good gifts on this side of glory, not all experiences, not all of the gifts that come into our lives are good. Not all that we receive or experience in our eyes is good. Not all that we live through as families and followers of Christ feels good, nor is it at times. It would be remiss of me not to acknowledge that family isn't just one, one joyful situation. And you heard Simon's testimony. Would be, we'd be wrong to say that. So we recognize on this side of glory that not everything is good, not everything that comes into our families or the things that we experience are good. But in the greatest and perfect gift of Jesus Christ, there are two amazing truths, two comforts. First one is that when when the Father gave us the greatest gift of Jesus Christ, he gave us someone to be with us in those struggles. He gave us someone that would be with us right where we are in family. He gave us someone that would be perfect when we weren't perfect. You see, the word doesn't promise us a struggle-free life. In fact, as followers, sometimes that's counterintuitive. It's not. But it does promise us that he'll be with us in the midst of that. That's the first amazing truth. The second comfort is that through his death, through Jesus' death, he defeated sin once and for all. And that gave us the gift of salvation. Through his son Jesus, the Father offered us that great gift of salvation, the greatest gift of Embodied. Our greatest gift was embodied in Jesus Christ that came to us. And those two things are the truth that we need to see through the haze that we look through sometimes. That's what prompts us and encourages us to let the Lord build our house, to let the Lord build our families, to let the Lord build our lives. He's the Father that gives good gifts, kids, houses, jobs, careers, peace, security. He's the Father that gives good gifts and we're able to know and celebrate the greatest gift, Jesus, given to us in His Son, Jesus. So that greatest gift was given to us in His Son, Jesus, and the gift that came, the gift of salvation, it came through His Son, Jesus, for us. (coughs) So as we sit here together and we recognize that's what we have. Is is that exciting? Kind of tired, but you know, is that exciting? That, that that's what we share. That's why we're family. We started this, this this morning by talking about that's what that's what we have as family. You and I share the fact that Jesus came into our lives right in the midst of the struggle, that he came and brought the greatest gift of salvation to us. And that's why we can stand up here together and we can stand up and, and celebrate with Abigail and say, Yes. She's a part of that. Isn't that amazing that she's a part of that family? That's what we have. You see, today we celebrated the sacrament of baptism. And baptism is the promise of, from, a promise from God pointing forward. He sees what we don't see yet. And right now, or really soon, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Two sacraments in one service. How's that? And Lord's Supper is the reminder of the promise to us. It helps us all to continue to look forward that through Jesus we are what we don't always see yet. You know, in baptism we see that Jesus sees what we don't yet when we look at Abigail, and in the Lord's Supper we see ourselves and we see that we are, that Jesus says we are, what we don't always see, what we don't always recognize about ourselves. Jesus gave himself gave us this sacrament as a sign sacrament of Lord's Supper, as a sign and a reminder that while we're, well, we in our humanness still struggle with the remnants of sin in our lives, the actual power of sin has been broken. It no longer defines us, and sin no longer determines our future. Sin no longer determines where we, where we will go. Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed so that we don't need to allow sin to break or define us. Because Jesus' body was broken for that. How good is that? Now, that is a good gift, isn't it? Read James, and I think James probably, you know, we read over that quickly, and I, there's even there's a song about, you know, Father of Lights, you know, He's the Giver of Good Gifts, and I think of that song, and I think there's so much richness in that verse. There's so much that James must have been thinking of and understanding about who Jesus was and what the Father had given us through Jesus. And we saw that this morning in baptism, and we get to think of that now. As you sit here, as I stand here, Father of lights, that unchanging, faithful Father has given you and I the gift of salvation. Jesus came to earth, and he said, and he took our place. He was willing to go in our place, suffer the punishment, so that we didn't have to, so that we, even though we can't see it, that it's possible now for God to see us as we don't see ourselves yet. Perfect. So, if you believe that, if you believe that that gift was for you and you've accepted it, you're invited to take part in the celebration. If you want to or need to be reminded again of this amazing truth, just like I was when I prepared this week and this morning as we talked about it, reminded again of this amazing truth of salvation. And we all need that reminder. Then this is for you. If you want to make that active proclamation and and you want to profess again that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, then joining the family in this is for you. And if you know that sin gains a grip on your life time and time again, that you're helpless to save yourself and that you depend on Jesus' intervention in your life, then this is for you. See, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he was with the disciples and and he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this and this, by this he meant sit around together, share this in remembrance of me and when you remember me and then he took the cup and they'd finished eating and he took the cup and he said this is my blood and I want you to think of this as my blood poured out for you and and to establish this new covenant that that you belong this new family covenant and every time you drink it remember me remember what I did remember what it's about and so that's what we do even though we don't send this cup around and and you have this little glass but Jesus said, "Remember me. Remember that this is what happened." So I'm just going to ask the um, the elders and to come forward, and I'm going to invite you to take part in, in this with us. So um, if I get you guys to come forward, and we'll just create two places. And so as you um, as you come forward and and take some of the bread and take um, some of the juice with you, just go to your seat and and then together as we once we've all received the elements. Together, let's, um, let's remember and let's take, um, take the elements together. So I invite you to come forward. Um, perhaps we'll make two lines. Two guys will be over here and we'll be over here. So come on forward and then um, we'll celebrate together. So um, as, you, as you take the bread, take... Eat, remember and believe that the body of Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness for all our sins. As you take the cup, think of the words that Jesus said when he said to his disciples that this is my blood poured out for you. Drink it, remember and believe that the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out for you to cleanse you of all your sins. One of the verses that um, continually impresses and, and astounds me and is where Paul says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That you know, lots of heroic men would, 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 would die for a cause and for a good man. But while we were still sinners, this is what Christ did for us. While we were still in a place where there was nothing we could do to justify what Jesus did, he died for us. An amazing blessing that salvation came to us. That's a good gift from the Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us this morning. We thank you for reminding us that you are the builder that builds good families, that you're the builder that builds great families, that you're the one that builds into our lives, that you're the one that um, designed us. And Lord, we thank you that we also know that, and we're reminded this morning, Father God, that you are a giver of good gifts and You're the giver of the greatest gift we ever received in Jesus and the greatest gift we ever received through him, salvation. That restoration that we can be with you forever. We thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you for a reminder of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.